Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Father God, we trust this morning that our praise and our worship has been acceptable in your eyes. And God, I pray that as we open up your word, uh, that your truth would come from it. And that the message you've placed upon my heart for this group of people here this morning will be delivered just as you have planned it. And God, I pray that all of us would have soft hearts to receive your word. Uh, May your word fall on good soil. May it grow and produce a whole heap of fruit in our lives. And may you receive glory and honor uh, from it. So God, by your spirit, have your way this morning. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I said, this year we have a vision which is salvation. Lots of people coming to faith in Christ. And to help us with this, we've been studying uh, the book of Exodus. And we've been following the journey of the Israelites uh, from Egypt across the Jordan into the Promised Land. We haven't quite got there yet. Uh, But it's been wonderful to see how God had delivered, had saved His people from the oppression of the Egyptians. And salvation simply means to preserve or deliver from harm, ruin, or loss. And this morning, we're gonna look at what would have to be the greatest ever miracle prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is the parting of the Sea of Reeds, or the Red Sea, as uh, many would know it. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me uh, to the book of Exodus chapter 14. Now I'm going to read from verses 15 to 31. But as you do, let me tell you a quick little story uh, about nine-year-old Joey. Uh, Joey enjoyed a morning at church. He was uh, participating in Sunday school. And on the way home, his mother asked him what he had learnt. And then he proceeded to answer by saying, Well, Mum, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And when he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge and all the people walked across it safely. Then he used his walkie-talkie to radio headquarters for reinforcements. They then sent bombers to blow up the bridge and all the Israelites were saved and the Egyptians drowned. Now Joey, his mother said, Is that really what they taught you this morning? Well, no, they didn't, Joey, but if you had heard what they taught me, there's no way you'd believe what they said because it is a far out story, isn't it? The story of the Red Sea. Hey, um, just to give you a bit of an idea on where we're at so far, uh, we have, if you are to turn over to the book of Exodus chapter 14, we have already passed over what we call the plagues Uh, and also um, the deliverance, okay? God has dealt a series of combination blows, any boxes in the house today, anyone like boxing, UFC, anything along those lines? Come on, that's good, this is a good church. No one promotes violence here. I like that. This is a great place to be. But God squared off against Egypt. He hit him with a series of blows uh, that included the 10 plagues. And along the way, Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then ultimately the firstborn and the Passover took 
twice, and you can read about this in Exodus chapters 7 through to 11. And then in chapter 12, after witnessing all of this, the Hebrews, or sorry, the Egyptians then said, they urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. And then from that, the exodus, which means the way out or the departure happened, it took place before a regretful Pharaoh changed his mind and decides to pursue the Israelites, who then in fear complained, cried out, and then Moses cries out to God about what happens next. And then in Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 to 31, which is what I'm going to read to you now, Moses boldly declares, or God declares to Moses, that it's time for the people of Israel to move on. It's time for the people of Israel to keep moving. So let me read it to you, Exodus 14, and I'm going to begin reading from verse 15. So Exodus chapter 14, beginning at verse 15, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Hey, there's uh, a few thoughts that I want to share with you about this particular event that took place at the Red Sea uh, many, many years ago. And the first thought I want to share with you this morning is that this event, this adventure, the parting of the Red Sea, gave glory to God. It gave glory to God. Now, if you were listening to my words carefully, and perhaps you are new to church, or maybe you have questions about the things of God, you might even be a little bit of a skeptic, you, you might have picked up on, on the words, hardened their hearts. God hardened the hearts of the Egyptians. And if you picked up on that, the, the natural response to that is, why on earth would God do something like that? Why would he harden the hearts of people, and as a result of that, it would lead to their demise? Why would a good God, a loving God, do such a thing that would ultimately lead to someone's demise? Doesn't sound like a good God, doesn't sound like a loving God. Why would God allow such things and bad things to happen, and at times, even be the initiator of it? And you know what, if you were to ask that question, uh, I'm actually going to need to ask you to leave because we don't, I'm just kidding, you don't need to do that. Uh, but if you ask that question, I totally get it. I totally understand where you're coming from because it looks like, if you stretch it a little bit, that the Pharaoh and the Egyptians were innocent victims within the plan of God. But there's three thoughts I want to share with you about why God did this and why sometimes God allows bad things to happen. Firstly, it's important to note and to let you all know that Pharaoh actually hardened his heart twice on two separate occasions in Exodus chapter 8, verses 15 to 32. You know, God warned Pharaoh time and time again about the final judgment that is to come, and Pharaoh wouldn't have a bar of it. 
Pharaoh's heart was already hard. But secondly, and I really want us to kind of get this point, is that we actually serve a God who does grant our requests. It may be a yes, a no, or a maybe, but we have a God who answers prayer. And this is where it gets really concerning for me. You know, sometimes God will actually give those who want nothing to do with him exactly what they want. You know, if someone genuinely wants nothing to do with God, they may in fact get what they ask for. You know, time and time again, God may be trying to reveal himself, trying to intervene, putting people in your path to let you know that God loves you and he's got a wonderful plan uh, for your life or for their life. But as a result of that, people continue to harden their hearts and ask God to have no involvement in their life or in their future. And Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 24, he actually elaborates on this a bit more when he says, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to a whole bunch of different things. But it's important to note that Pharaoh's heart was hard, but also God may actually give you what you want because God answers our prayer and if you genuinely want nothing to do with him, you may actually get that as well. That's a bit of a scary and concerning thought for me. But thirdly, on this point that I will eventually land when I stop rambling on and get to my point, and this isn't answering this question in a bit of a broader way. Why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does he allow evil things to happen? Why doesn't he just get involved and stop it and intervene and things along uh, those lines? Uh, it's really hard to determine where the lines are between good, bad, and evil. It really is. And maybe you need to have the wisdom of God in order to do that. But knowing where good, bad, and evil starts and ends is quite a challenge. For example, you know, should God intervene and stop things like access to pornography in order to reduce the chances of sexual offenses happening in today's society? Now, the obvious answer is absolutely. But those and the millions of people who participate in that industry might not think so. Or, on the other hand, you know, should, should God remove our free will and create a universal race that can do no wrong? Well, that to me says we'd be a whole bunch of robots and uh, I don't know if I want to be that. I, I, I can do the robot. But that's about it. But maybe... That's what some people are actually thinking. And then there are others who say, well, why doesn't God just do away with the bad people? You know, what, what, what about them? If we just didn't have them, then would we, we would be fine. Well, I actually hope and pray God doesn't do that because then who would be left? This whole question of why does God allow bad things and sometimes evil things to happen is a question that's been asked for generations. It has stemmed from stories like this, God hardening the hearts of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And all. Why does he do these things? You know what? That's a great question. And one day we'll get to ask God that if we are in Christ, and that'll be an interesting discussion. But the answer is actually in the story of the parting of the Red Sea. Have a look at verse 18. It says, or... or or, or it retells or restates that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. This whole event that may seem a bit unfair, 
Why would he do that? Great question. There's a few thoughts I shared with you. But ultimately, in one way or another, God is going to receive glory as a result of those things. For one day, regardless of where people stand in the presence of God, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord, and God will usher in what we call glory. He will eventually receive glory as a result of all that we see and experience in our world. But one thing I really love about the verses I just read is that this didn't happen. The hardening of hearts and all that happened from there. It didn't happen so that God could communicate to the Israelites. What does he say? Once again, verse 18, he says, so that the Egyptians will know. The Egyptians will know. Not those on the chariots who will pass through because we know how the story ends for them if you know this story well. But he's also talking about those who will receive an email a little bit later about the events that happened at the Red Sea. They too will know that he is Lord and he will receive glory from that. Don't you find it really cool that in the midst of this, God is still thinking about those outside of his chosen people, Israel. He is still thinking about them. And he's still trying to get into their lives, get their attention so they can be a part of what he is setting up. And and I don't know where you're at today, but you know, if you have hardened your heart toward the things of God, if you've asked him to have nothing to do with you, can I tell you that even though he will receive glory in one way or another, he's still thinking of you. He's still doing all he can to come after you. And this is an example of that. The events that took place at the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea ultimately brought God glory. But let's keep reading because this is is, going to get fun now. Well, not that it hasn't been fun because I'm a fun kind of pastor, but it's going to go up another level. So let me just keep reading verses 19 to 22. It says this, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord, now listen to this, drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Hey, and you know what? There's actually a few more verses, verse 23 to 28. And I'm tempted to read it, but as I was preparing this message this morning, you know what I began thinking about? No, you don't, do you? Because you can't read my mind. The classic movie from the 1950s called The Ten Commandments. Hands up if you've seen that. And thank you for those who are over 60. I've just identified, sorry, you're not over 60. I see you kind of dropped that hand real quick. Uh, It's a classic, absolute classic. And there's no better way of revisiting the parting of the Red Sea and the crossing over it than some over-dramatization by Hollywood. Um, So hey, why don't you turn your attention to the screen and let's see this whole thing unfold. Hit play. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the wilderness? Why must we die? Fear not. 
stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We must go with all speed. Yes. Go where? To drown in the sea? How long will the fire hold Pharaoh back? We'll hold After him. this day, you shall see his chariots no more. No! You'll be dead under them. No. The Lord of hosts will do battle for us. Behold his mighty hand. It's riveting stuff, riveting stuff. They need to make a remake and chuck it down there at Vicky Point Cinemas. Hey, that'll sell tickets by the truckload. Hey, once again, if you're new here exploring faith or you've got questions or maybe you are a bit of a skeptic, I reckon I know what's going through your mind when you look at a scene like that. You know, an angel of the Lord? Yeah, right. Pillars of cloud and fire? Are you absolutely kidding me? The parting and the repairing of a Red Sea or a sea in general, come on now, sounds a little far-fetched, a little bit too much to swallow. I can understand why you may feel that way. However, let me pose a couple of thoughts that do my soul good and hopefully it'll get you thinking about a powerful God who at the events of the Red Sea not only received glory, but also was able to display his power, because that's what happened here. Let me share a few thoughts for you on this particular point. You know, I find it very, very interesting that when Moses was recording the events, when he had some time to chill out and reflect and put stuff on, whatever they put stuff on back then, I find it interesting that Moses decides to mention and refer to the strong east wind in verse 27. I find that very interesting. And and this morning, I I just want to suggest and maybe pose the question for the sake of thought and dialogue that perhaps faith and reason may not be enemies after all. You know, maybe there is some relationship between what we call Scripture and also science. You know, there are some reputable and conservative historians who claim that the Exodus was an actual historical event, a fact that happened so many years ago. 
And in fact, in 1978, and this is a cool story, in 1978, archaeologist Ron Wyatt, he decided to retrace the journey of the Israelites and the Egyptians uh, on the Exodus, or in the Exodus story, and ultimately to the Red Sea and over into the promised land. And along the way, uh, Wyatt would use biblical references to determine things like geographical locations, which he believed the Israelites and the Egyptians would have been at on the way to the Red Sea. And Wyatt was passing through this winding canyon called the Wadi Watur, and it was there when he remembered the words of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 14, verse 3, when he said, they are entangled in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. It sounds a little bit like a canyon. But after one too many of these possibilities or these coincidences that, you know, these biblical references that he was using to determine geographical locations, after one too many of those things, um, Wyatt concluded that he was on the right track, the right path. And eventually, he found himself at a place called Newabar Beach, which is in the Gulf of Aqaba, the location of the Red Sea in southern Israel. And as he stood there, with obviously the, the, the steps that he had taken prior, and as he stood there and thought, this could be the scene of the Exodus, this could be where the Red Sea is, he thought to himself, and he reasoned that, well, if it is, the proof would be in the water. The evidence would be there. For example, the remnants and the leftovers of an Egyptian army who were drowned and who were flooded as a result of the waters coming back over, and we'll read that in a second. So Wyatt decided to commence an underwater search, and he got a team of people, and they explored the seabed of Newabar Beach, and they discovered clusters of coral littering the seabed that all had right angles and, and looked like wreckage. And uh, upon further searching, they were able to uncover a series of items that dated back to the time of the Exodus. Uh, one item they were able to recover was, uh, was this eight-spoked wheel. And as soon as uh, Ron Wyatt discovered this, he immediately gave it to a guy by the name of Dr. Hassan, who was the director of antiquities in Cairo. And Mr. Hassan immediately identified that artifact as a chariot wheel dating over 3,500 years during the 18th century, the only time the ancient Egyptians used an eight-spoke wheel. And he pulled that up, and, and that wheel is now... Uh, for all to see at a museum in Cairo over there in Egypt. But as you may see on the screen, I mean, this is a little bit hard to see. This isn't actually the eight-spoke wheel. This is one of the discoveries they found when searching uh, the seabed. But you can see the circular shape. And in the middle, the little clump is like the um, mechanics, tire changes, help me out here, hub. And you can see a few spokes. This discovery they determined was a six-spoke wheel, but the, the, the one that really blew the minds of the archaeologists and historians was the eight-spoke wheel they discovered, which was dated back to the 18th dynasty, more than 3,500 years ago, the only time when the ancient Egyptians used eight-spoke wheels. That is amazing. I find that extremely cool. Not only am I a great mathematician, I'm also a historian. That's a joke. You should know how good my maths are by now, church. Come on. 
But that there blows my mind. So the question isn't if these things happen, but instead, how? How on earth did the Israelites cross the Red Sea? Well, there have been many, many explanations from all kinds of people to try and determine how natural phenomena, timely earthquakes that caused the seabed to rise and, and the Israelites to pass over, severe storms, you name it, there has been a lot. But can I suggest this morning, can I suggest that possibly there is a God who used the natural in order to achieve the supernatural? Is it possible that God used the wind, that God used the waters, that God used possibly, you know, the things under the waters to bring about what we are reading here today? Because if reputable and conservative historians theologians and so on uh, are believing that or claiming this to be a historical fact. And it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of how. And we can talk about that until the cows come home. And we don't have any cows that live here, so don't worry about that. We've got a lot of time. But the events of the Red Sea brought glory to God, but it also displayed the power of God, God's ability to actually use something natural to bring about the supernatural. Let me keep reading. I'm going to jump to verse 29 because we covered a, a few verses with that biblically accurate scene from the Ten Commandments. Verse 29 to 31, it says this, But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servants. Friends, I believe that's what it's all about. You know, I believe that when God created for himself a people, he did so with a desire that we would love him and trust him with our lives and with our futures. You know, here the events of the Red Sea Yep, God's glory was revealed, God's power is on display, but why? So that people would trust him, so that people would place their faith in him. And as the pastor of this church, that is the desire of my heart for this church to be a church that is encouraging or is seeing, you know, God getting glory, the power of God at work, but ultimately so people would place their faith and trust in God. That's what it's all about. That's why I'm here. You know, to be honest, I'm not interested in winning an argument with historians and skeptics. It's not about trumping those who have questions about the things of God and then, you know, maybe pounding my chest like a victor, like LeBron James after he dunks or anything like that. You know, for me, it's not even really about right or wrong, although I believe there is, but it's more so about people coming to a knowledge of God and placing their trust in Him. And you, know, you might be here for the first time or visiting. You could have a whole bunch of baggage. You could be doing things that are questionable, not only in your eyes, but the eyes of society, maybe in the eyes of, of church. 
But could I, can I tell you this morning, I, I could care less about that. My heart for you is that you would trust God, give Him your life, and from experience, I believe that He will direct your paths, and from experience, I believe that He will put you into an adventure of salvation, and that's where you want to be. That's what this is all about, so that people would place their trust in Him. As people were delivered from harm, ruin, and loss, salvation, God is reminding us today that we have been brought up out of something and into something else. And our role is to help people place their faith and trust in God. And when we are in that position, Perhaps like the Israelites, God says to them, you know what, even though I brought you up out of and into something, keep going. It's time to move forward. It's time to move on. It's time to step into all of the things that God has in store for you. You know, knowing when to move on and move forward, I must confess, is a challenge. You know, you might be sitting here this morning as someone who has never taken a step towards Christ by faith. You haven't moved toward Him. Or maybe you have done that. You've stepped toward Christ. You've been brought up out of something and into the things of Him, but have not taken any more steps forward. You are not moving in a forward direction. To determine whether or not we should make or when to make that move can be quite a challenge. And I remember as a, uh, you know, a, a young follower of Jesus trying to determine you know, God's call on my life. I'm like, how do I know if I should move in that direction? How do I know if I should take a step in that direction? How do I work all of this out? Well-known and famous Baptist pastor and evangelist, F.B. Meyer. And we know that all Baptist pastors are pretty cool, so uh, let's run with him today. Um, you're a tough crowd. You're a tough crowd. Uh, F.B. Meyer tells a story one day of when he was sailing on a, on a ship. He was on a deck and they were sailing at night and the weather was bad and the ship was about to pull into dock and he managed to get up onto the deck and he could see that the storms made visibility quite low. And F.B. Meyer, when standing on the bridge, peered through the window and he asked the captain, how do you know when to turn this ship into the narrow harbour. Well, that's an art form, replied the captain. Then the captain proceeded to say, do you see those three red lights on the shore? Well, when they're all in a straight line, I know that it's time to go straight in. You know, Maya left that scene. He reflected on that a bit more. And then he came to the conclusion that we know when it's of God. We know when it's time to move forward. We know it's of His will when there are three things happening and occurring in our lives. Firstly, the inward impulse of the heart, which we know comes by God's Holy Spirit. Secondly, we know it comes from the Word of God. When you open up the pages and the truth just smacks you in the face and it's in alignment with what the impulse of the heart is. And then thirdly, the trend of circumstances. As you look at what's going on in the world around you, you know, if it's reinforcing, not, re, well, not reinforcing, if it's in alignment with what you're reading from His Word and the prompting inward 
impulses that, that I believe happen from God's Spirit, when all those three things are in agreement, then it's time to sail straight in. I think that's wise. I like that. And in fact, I've lived you know, for many years under that wisdom. You know, when, when, uh, and it's funny, when I think back to the time you know, when I gave my life to Jesus, you know, th- there were th- those three things happening in my life. You know, there was something within me that knew there, that there was more to this thing called life. There was something within me that, that was empty, that needed to be filled. And as I found myself at a youth camp, listening to the preacher of the Word, he was reading Scripture. I'm like, man, who told him my story? Because those verses are for me. And then also after that, I'm looking at my world, what's going on. And for me, it all led to and pointed to my need of a saviour, my need of a healer, my need of a deliverer. I stepped into that. Obviously, I didn't know F.B. Meyer's little, uh, little plan back then. But after knowing, I had that what happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus. But even when walking with Him, same deal. I look for these three things to determine which step I take next. And yes, I know we don't put God in a box and we don't lock Him into a structure. I get all that. I get all that. But I have found this extremely helpful. You know, when we revisit the story about Moses parting the Sea of Reeds or, or the Red Sea, now I know it can be a lot to take in especially if you're here for the first time or unfamiliar with the things of God and faith. Oh, I totally get that. But we are all reminded that the events of the Red Sea brought glory to God. It displayed the power of God. And ultimately, it was so that people would trust in God, that they would give their lives to Him. And when we do, God just has this ability to say, you know what, like He did the Israelites, you know what? There's more to come. There's more to come. Move on. Move forward. I'm going to get the glory. You're going to see my power. And as you do, people are going to trust me. And like Moses, I'll probably trust you too. Move on. Move forward. You know, this morning, I reckon this message is, is giving and providing a word for some of us this morning who are stuck. Perhaps you're stuck in sin and you need a saviour. Today you can move forward toward Jesus. Perhaps as the people of God, there is something that you are stuck in. Maybe it's a behaviour. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship situation. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's spiritual. But as a result of being stuck, you haven't been able to move on, move forward, keep going, step into the things that God has for you. But you know, the word that I believe God has for those of you this morning who feel a little bit that way is that your current location is not God's permanent destination for you. Your current location is not God's permanent destination for you. And in fact, I don't think for anyone. I think the good thing about God is that He wants good in your life. He wants you to move on. He wants you to grow He wants you to experience more of His blessing, more of His grace, more of His power in your life. But sometimes we find ourselves stuck, whether it's stuck in sin or things that hold us back. 
And perhaps you cannot move on from what you've experienced in the past. Perhaps you, uh, you, know, you are still tempted by what you see when you look back. Maybe you are even still interested and invested in what God has actually delivered you from. And maybe it's easy for you just to look back and embrace some of the life and behaviours that God has rescued you from. You know, well, today I believe God's word to you is simply this. Move on. Keep moving. Your current location is not God's permanent destination for you. Isaiah 43 verses 18 to 19 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a, a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God's word for all of us today is just to keep moving, keep going, keep walking into the things, into the future that God has in store for you. Hey, could I get us just to uh, close our eyes and bow our heads across the church this morning? Because I want to talk to those who have been stuck in sin and they haven't yet made a step toward Jesus. And when I, ever, when I ask those people to, you know, respond in faith, it can be quite a challenge for them. That's why I ask us just to bow our head and close our eyes today. You know, but this morning, if that's you, if you have not at any stage in your life taken a step toward Jesus and said, here's my life, be my Lord and Saviour. I don't want to be stuck in this sin that separates me from you anymore. Forgive me and come into my life. If you have not done that for the first time, why don't you just place your hand in the sky right now? I'm just going to pray for you. That's all I'm going to do. Why don't you place your hand in the sky right now? And uh, I'm going to pray for you. Anyone at all here today that wants to take a step toward Jesus for the first time, just raise your hand in this place. Ah, that's cool. That's cool. For the rest of you, why don't I, uh, for all of you, can I get you to stand this morning? And uh, I, I wonder if in your life, as I assume the people of God, or maybe there's still some who are, who are thinking this through, but as the people of God, I wonder if there's anyone here today that is feeling stuck. You're not able to move forward into all that God has in store for you. And I don't know what that next step would look like for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's taking a step toward baptism. And you know, it's not too late to get involved in that today. You know, if you have given your life to Jesus, mate, you are eligible for baptism. Maybe that's the next step you need to take. Or maybe the next step for you is to find a place to serve or join a life group. Or maybe the big step is you need some freedom prayer or perhaps counselling. Man, if anyone here this morning is stuck and they can't move forward into the things of God, man, I'm just going to invite you to come forward. Uh, the prayer team is going to be out the front and they're going to pray and ask God to give you the wisdom and the courage to step forward into all that God has in store uh, for you today. That's all they're going to do. And right now, I believe God by His Spirit is placing that thing on your heart right now. He's bringing it to mind. He's placing it in your heart. And if that's the case, now why don't you just let us pray over you today that God would give you the wisdom and the courage to step forward, to keep moving into all that God has in store. Prayer team, if I can get you to come out. If that's you, just come and let some people pray over you this morning. Let's keep going, church. Let's keep going. There's so much more in store for you. 
in the things of God. Come on, let's sing together. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.